Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, it's that time of the week where we get to decanter banter and just unleash a bottle of Sharp Red with myself, Ollie Geel, and Australia's third favourite son. And also this week, fourth favourite, Silver Fox. So very much ho- hovering around that area, Mark Schwarzer. But uh, are you confident with four? Or do you reckon you can get up to third or second uh, towards the end of next week? I mean, with you, who knows, mate? Yeah. It could be anything, really. I mean, I, I think the way that you analyse it um, and then award your, your rankings is hugely debatable. Yeah. I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to ask you how to explain it. Okay, no, well, because I won't be able to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll make it up very much on the spot. Okay, let's get stuck into this week's bottle of wine, Mark. Uh, what is it? Where did you get it? Because it's your turn uh, to provide a wine. It's a Barbazul mm. from Cardes. In the south of Spain, I was over there last week, um, or the week before now, and um, it's local produce. It's I mean, I've had it, I haven't had this wine before yet. Mm-hmm. I saw it, I thought this looks great, and because I'm shouting pretty much every week, you know, I've got to be careful. I've got to have a budget, and I've gone for a real <laughs> a cheap bottle of wine as okay. well because eventually, hopefully, we, if we get a bad one, eventually you may put your hand in your pocket and get one. Oh, anyway, the cheek. So yeah, from Cardis, and uh, I had a couple of ones from the area, and they were fantastic. Really, really cool. Um, similar, similar level in terms of price, and let's give this one a go. Now, Mark, just as you pour that beautiful-looking uh, cheap bottle of, of Sharp Red, <laughs> no, it does look nice. Um, I believe that uh, this is a, a special episode uh, for you. It is, yeah. I'd like to dedicate this episode to uh, Pim Verbeek, who uh, unfortunately lost his battle to cancer this week. And, um, yeah, listen, phenomenal guy. Really top, top guy. Unbelievably personable, an infectious smile, like I wrote on my on my, my social media posts, and uh, will be sorely missed by all. And I think very, very much underrated and underappreciated uh, at his time, head of the Socceroos, an amazing uh, run up to the 2010 World Cup. And also at the 2010 World Cup, people go too much on the Germany game, but we beat Serbia, and it's the last win Australia's had at a World Cup, and probably our best ever win at a World Cup. Um, definitely the highest ranked team. So, yeah, this is to, to Pim. Cheers, mate. Your initial thoughts? I'm still very dazed and confused. We had we we struck an issue early on with the cork. Um, you, you couldn't almost open it; was crumbling away. It was crumbling. Yes, it was, and it wasn't until halfway down. Actually, probably no. I, I think the top quarter uh, crumbled away. It was a bit concerning, and then the rest of it was nice and solid. So, and it smelt good. Wasn't too worried about that aspect of it, but I was a little bit surprised about the corkage. However, I my initial thoughts: warm. 
So let's talk about the sack race. Since we started this segment exactly seven days ago, obviously we saw that Mauricio Pochettino had left. Now Unai Emery has gone. And now Watford manager Kike Sanchez Flores has gone. I mean, it's just, this has got to be the quickest sack race of all time. Well, we did say last week that, like I said, I hadn't seen, I can't remember a time in the Premier League where so many managers were on the cusp, on the verge of being sacked. And I did say also that, it was going to happen. It's only a matter of time. And we could see in the next couple of weeks a big turnover of, of managers. And like you said, we've had two since our podcast, our last podcast. No surprise. No, no, no. real surprise. I mean, this the, the weekend just gone, we had the biggest game really in terms of potential of someone losing their job was the, the Southampton-Watford game. And I always said, whoever loses that game was gone. So I suppose the other person that we, we absolutely were keeping a very close eye on was Arsenal and Freddie Lundberg. We'll get to that in a moment. But what's next, do you think? I mean, I suppose by the time that we've edited this podcast and put it out and everyone's woken up in Australia, there's a very real opportunity or chance that Marco Silva could be gone. Like, it it's literally feels like... I mean, we, I mean, we're in your wine cellar at the moment. I'm getting no signal. But if we check Wi-Fi... It wouldn't surprise us if he was gone right now. I, I would be very, very surprised if he's not gone within the next 24 hours. Mm. I think, again, I mean, listen, there were some signs of a little bit of resilience, a, a, you know, changed tactically. They frustrated Leicester for, for the vast majority of the game. Leicester had to score in the, whatever minute it was. It was literally, it was the last kick of the game. The referee picked the ball up and blew his whistle to say it was a goal, then blew his whistle to say it was full time. So... They left it late, but but it was down to Everton's tactical ploy as well. So maybe the hierarchy may think um, that he's showing signs of, of trying to turn things around. I just I think it's gone beyond that. I, I just don't really see a guy that that can keep Everton mm. up. I think I think they're in danger if he stays there. They're in danger of being sucked into that bottom three. And what's the fallout there? The bigger picture in terms of an organisation because. I suppose it's one thing, say, for example, if Southampton go down, right? But if Everton, who have spent an extraordinary amount of money, if they go down, you know, after bringing in the likes of Awobi, obviously we're assuming Richarlison, he would go. But there's a lot of people there on some serious money. And yes, you get your parachute payments on the way down to the championship, but it's a scary thought for anyone associated with Everton that, that, you know, Southampton go down, save your money, try and bounce back. But if Everton go down, the ramifications could be quite, you know, affected. I think that the way that Southampton are set up, they're probably a little bit better equipped with being relegated and kind of there would be an expectation that, uh, well, a sense of, okay, that's not a real big surprise because they're flooded with the idea for some time. Whereas Everton, it doesn't seem to be the case. It just seems like a manager who looks like he's run out of ideas. He's clearly got uh, a lack of of, uh, of uh, an ability for me to get out of the situation that they're in, to turn that corner, to get a run of results. Yeah, they may pick up a win here and there, but it takes more than that. you know. And the group of players, I think, even though the signs are coming out that they don't want the manager to get the sack, because no one wants your manager to be sacked, generally speaking. There'll be the odd one or two who are disgruntled, but generally players... You don't want players, people to lose their jobs. So, yeah, I mean, the, the one that is at actually a bit of an anomaly at the moment is uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Mm. When you look at there's a stat out that uh, Mauricio Pochettino had won something like over 60-odd percent of his games 
Unai Emery just under fifty percent, I think it is, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is twenty seven percent or something like that. So the win percentage from just a selection of Manchester United managers. Uh, again, winter, this is the win percentage. Sir Alex Ferguson, 59%. Jose Mourinho, 58%. David Moyes, 52.9%. Louis van Gaal, 52 Sir Matt Busby, 52 I think on a social, yeah, 27 I mean, that is... <clears throat> when David Moyes is, you know, and remember you know, how badly he was treated and how quickly he was almost chased out of the club. You yes. go, poor. I know, and I think with Manchester United, because they've gone through such a... Uh, a, a, like a turnaround of, of managers that there's almost that, that theory or that thought that they they just don't want to be trigger happy. They want to kind, kind of like, you know, give this guy as much opportunity as possible to, to be successful and make this work. And I just don't see it happening. I, I think they have to make a change. And, and you know, clearly Maurizio Poggettino is on the market. And even if what we're hearing is that potentially is a... Um, um, Mauricio Pochettino would have to pay Spurs a penalty of £14 million pounds that if he were to sign for another Premier League club before, before now and the end of the season. That, that'll be a that'll be small small change for someone like Manchester United to go, yeah, yeah, okay, you pay it, but we'll, we'll, we'll sub you it and probably give you a little bit more just for your transaction efforts. Who knows? And, I, and if I were Manchester United, I mean, Arsenal, Manchester United, I'd be, I'd be moving heaven or earth um, to try and get Maurizio Pochettino in, in and at the club. So let's talk about, you mentioned there, we're talking about Solskjaer, a former player taking charge. Uh, Freddie Lundberg uh, had his first game in charge of Arsenal as interim manager. Finished two all against Norwich away from home. Uh, it was a bittersweet day, I guess, for, for us Arsenal fans. It was, I mean, the first invincible to, to manage Arsenal. Certainly in my lifetime, it's the first time I've ever seen a former Arsenal player manage the club, which is exciting uh, and refreshing, and 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 then also seeing Per Murtasacker alongside him, that was also exciting. But the real scary thing was, yes, okay, he's only been interim manager for what it was four days at the time, but it just looked exactly the same. It just for me, there was no difference. Yeah, but you look at Arsenal's fixtures coming up. Every single one of them, you're thinking they could lose that. They'll probably lose that. They will get a draw there. They probably won't get a point there. If you look at the rankings at the moment in terms of form guide, Arsenal are the bottom. They're 20th. They haven't won a game, I think it's what is it, eight games now, mm. which is just atrocious. And you're right. And that's that's the biggest concern is that you, you've got a new manager come in and he obviously he was the assistant manager, just new to the club, but obviously know the club very, very well, has been one of the invincibles. And there was no, there was no real change in anything. Change in personnel, but there was no response. Often when you see a change in manager, the, 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 the group of players lift yep. and you get an immediate response. Remember, we were at, um, at Middlesbrough and we, we went through a really tough period. We had Brian Robson for the manager for, for a long, long time. Actually, it was Brian Robson's last six months in charge, which turned out to be his last six months in charge of the club. And we, he, the club brought in Terry Venables. And whether it was Steve Gibson, Brian Robson, combination... One, who knows? I'm not really, no one really knows. It was played out as if uh, Brian asked for Terry Venables to come in. That could have well have been the case. Terry came in from day one. He had this aura about him, had this respect. And the way he communicated with everyone, the way he sat down with every single player, 
whether it was a personal meeting, whether he walked around on the training field and took out a couple of minutes just to chat to you and ask you. And he asked every single person. He asked the tea lady. He asked the kit man what they thought was going on. What do they think was wrong? And they went through everything. He went through everything. Ultimately, that was more a reflection on the mood around the club because he wanted everyone to be fighting the one cause. And at Arsenal for a long time now, it doesn't seem like everyone is fighting the same cause. It just seems so disjointed. There seems like a whole group of players that are very, very unhappy. What Terry Reynolds did was he got everyone together. We worked really hard on the training field. We went through the basic stuff. Like we, we worked on the defense. We worked on the simple stuff of being organized, going through the drills, basic stuff, and then reminding ourselves what to do. And slowly by slowly, we, we regained confidence. Our first game, we played away at Sunderland. We lost 1-0. Should never have lost. Uh, the goal all that in wasn't a great one. But the signs were unbelievably positive, and we, we grew from that. And we went on to, we went on to, to stay up and, and stay up comfortably in the end. And he did an r- unbelievable job. And they were, they were talking about he was, he was desperate to take the job on full-time. And for whatever reason, um, uh, Steve Gibson, the, the, the chairman of the club, decided to go with, with Steve McLaren instead of Terry Venables. I have no doubt, though, that having Steve, uh, Terry Venables there as manager, we would have been a big success because he was a, mm. a, a top, top, top quality coach. It's not, not my favourite. No, it's no, you're not, not having favorite. it. No. See, I, I thought you might like it because. No. So, it's it's a, the Barbuzel, is that how you're saying it? Barbazel? Barbazel? Well, you call it whatever you want. I mean, what do they call it in Tasmania? Barbazel, I would have thought. A Merlot. I see you're not a Merlot fan. No, you know I'm a Shiraz sort of operator. Yes, yeah, see, I, I, I really think this is a very, very drinkable wine. Right. Um, comfortable. It's, a, it's, a, it's an easy afternoon drink. It's not like you need a big steak to go with it, like the last bottle of wine, which I think it, it was good to drink without any yep. anything, but I think it would be really, really good with a compliment of a, a big steak, big okay. meaty. This thing, this... I think, yeah, correct. No, this this is a this is a wine. We know it's not a top shelf wine, but I think it's a very very drinkable wine. If you're on your holidays and you wanted to enjoy a very very affordable wine, and there's nothing complicated about it, uh, it's got a little bit of flavour on it, a little bit of a kick, but very very smooth and warm. Makes me feel warm. That's good. And, uh, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. Mark. It is. Um, bad news on uh, just off the back of last week's episode. Haven't heard back from Sir Alex Ferguson um, regarding her offer for you, me, Brad Ebert, Tom Jonas to go on a wine tour around the Barossa Valley. Little bit surprised he didn't get back to me. Right. Um, I mean, I just want to know what channels you were going down. My space. Your space. Okay. Yeah. Your space. Or Your space. <laughs> Your space or my space. Righto, Dad. <laughs> I'll take it from here. Your space. Oh my golly. <laughs> <laughs> unintentional dad joke from you then that's oh dear that's really backfired isn't it <laughs> your space fair enough oh you poor bugger <laughs> so for this second half of the episode mark it's all about the feel good factor um and right now there's one feel good story in particular oh, there's actually a couple to be honest that that we probably need to to celebrate but jose Mourinho. And what he's doing to this Tottenham side, um, uh, performance aside, let's let's just take that as read. They've been very impressive um, in terms of their attacking style, conceding you know a fair amount of goals, but but that's a work in progress. But I want to talk about the culture that he's starting to provide. Um, one thing that uh, I read this article that Spurs had been banned from playing music in their dressing room for at least the last eleven months. 
and now Jose's come in a little bit like the the cool stepdad and gone, you know, doesn't want to kind of step on anyone's toes and, you know, wants to be the cool guy. So I'm enjoying that, that there seems to be some fun back at Tottenham. Um, but in particular, what, what they're doing with the ball boys. So we saw, uh, what was the, who were they playing? It was the Olympiacos game. Yes, it was, yes. Uh, where the ball boy essentially helped assist Harry Kane by, by being incredibly quick. A couple of things on that. I think it's underrated how important that, that job is for a kid. Um, and that was a, a huge turning point by how quickly he was able to provide uh, the ball. Uh, but then, obviously, we saw the we've seen in the last seven days the relationship between Mourinho and him, whether it's for show or not, or whether it's you know obviously he wants to uh, he wants the Tot- Tottenham faithful to fall in love with him. Yes, right? but but what he's done has in introduced this new system where every week there'll be a ball kid at uh, lunch with the team. And that's that's fantastic. Like this, this does scream a little bit of you know, you know. I'm trying to change things for the better, and I'm new here. I am I am taking over as your new father, but you know, I'm the cool stepdad. I don't know about you being the cool stepdad, but um, listen, it's great, and I think I think you're very much right in 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 assuming that he's trying to obviously break down a bit of a barrier between him and. The, the real faithful Spurs fans, the jury's still definitely out in terms of have they really, really embraced Jose Mourinho, a guy that coached obviously one of the biggest rivals in Chelsea and said he'd never ever uh, manage uh, Tottenham. Obviously, amazing how time can change things. Circumstances uh, definitely dictate you know your decisions along the way. And Listen, I, I think as a player, the ball boys are huge. They're hugely important because they work either very well in your favor or against you uh, when you're playing away from home in particular. Uh, and it generally tends to happen more in European games is that the ball boys... I, I remember, actually, I say European games, and I, I just remembered playing Stoke. And uh, Tony Pulis definitely drilled his ball boys. Really? 100%. A genuine hands-on approach. 100%. Wow. Because... They, their game was very much based on the long throws into the box, getting numbers forward, blocking players, goalkeepers, standing on them, big players, always had tall players. Always you knew you were going to be on an aerial bombardment. And it all came down to the quick ball, the quick ball from the ball boy. And every ball boy also had a towel at certain times of the year when the weather changed so the ball was really dry so that they could wipe the ball down really, really quickly when it was wet and then allow, allow the quick throw, the long throw. And um, they were definitely, definitely trained on it. So when you were there and say you were 1-0 behind or 2-1 behind and stuff, like that, well, the ball boys disappeared. <laughs> they never moved. They never got up off their spot to go get the ball. You had to chase after a ball. If they were chasing, the ball boy, every time the ball went out, the ball was like literally within a second or two back there at the spot. And as, a, as, a, as an away team coming to that ground and being in that sort of position, it's relentless. So the ball boys knew. They, they were told to play the game. Play the game as it's been played on the pitch. So be involved. Understand where we are. Understand the scoreline. Understand the importance of when the ball goes out, if it's our throw as the home team, how quickly do I need to get the ball back? Mm. Is it important? Are we leading? Okay, we'll slow it right down. Actually, I'm not even going to go for it. Or if we need to win the game, get, back, get in the game to try and win the game, we've got to run sprint. Every time the ball goes out, bang, next ball's there. When you're playing away from home, it must feel, as you said there, it feels like literally right. Eat right. If the ball kid's against you, everyone's no, against you. No, no, yeah, you, right? for sure. Like, but at what point does that, uh, what point does that 
be taken too far. We've seen in the past. Was it the uh, the Swansea ball kid against Eden Chelsea? Hazard? Yeah. Uh, then I, I remember even in the A League there was a situation. I can't remember who Adelaide United were playing, but I think it was in the FFA Cup where the ball boy didn't want to give the ball to Michael Moroni from Adelaide United, and he kind of took the ball off him, and the kid went down, and it was was you yeah. know it, it's this uncomfortable part where I understand that the ball kids should be. I think it's great that they are almost an extension of the players. But at what point does it get taken too far and it's like, hang on, you know, you're not playing? Well, in those instances that you refer to, and I think that the the Swansea one, I think he turned out to be a director's son as well. Really, right. And that was taken too far and he definitely was playing on it to try and get the most, the maximum exposure and result out of it. Listen, I'm not not, not saying what Eden Hazard did was right but as a player that is incredibly frustrating i can imagine there's so much writing on it and that is that, that i mean for me that's out of order right. that that's taken it too far and uh so should we just sorry just just highlight exactly what happened for those that can't remember so the ball went out and chelsea are chasing the game swansea are winning i think they're winning 2-1 at this stage they're chasing it so the ball goes out and the ball boy actually goes over to the ball and he picks it up or or was sh- i think he was shimmer like he was sh- uh um, protecting the ball as Hazard came over to it and then he jumped on top of the ball Yep. and he lay on top of it and held onto it and wouldn't allow Eden Hazard to take a quick throw in which would enable Swansea players to get back in a position to prevent that so Eden Hazard obviously in his frustration tried to kick the ball out from underneath him Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And he wasn't intent. I don't believe he was intentionally trying to kick him. However, the ball boy then moved around and slid over and then he may have been, been hit, which is wrong from Eden Hazard. He shouldn't yeah. have taken it that far. But I understand the frustration. And that's where, you know, the problem is in the moment, you don't get that back. And if even if the referee penalizes the kid, whatever, gets him removed, it doesn't change the moment. That's actually happened. There's no repercussions, and you can end up you lose the game for it. And then Chelsea lost the game. Did they lose because of that moment? Probably not. No. But it contributes to it. And Eden Hazard, obviously, you know, he gets suspended from it. He gets in a lot of trouble for it. Um, those sort of things shouldn't happen. They should be avoidable. What if you compare it to in tennis, where the ball kids are incredibly, oh, just so incredibly professional and neutral? Yes. You know, they, they will get the ball for no matter who, no matter what, no matter when. So what you do is you actually form a ball boys league. And like they, they get allocated to then each teams. They get allocated to different teams around the country. You've, got a, you've basically got like a referees, but they're all ball boys. I like or that. Or ball, ball boys and ball girls. Why not? Yeah. So you, you ball people. And they get distributed. The, the ball people. Every week they come out. Right. You find out begin, a couple of days before which game you're going to be allocated to. Yep. Off you go. So there's no, there's neutral. There's a neutral stance. But do ball kids get paid? That's the cause well. If you're being but then, up the, but then when we go to a different area there, then so like they're underage and should they be paid? They're not allowed to be yeah. child. Yeah, we can't we do that really? Can we? Yeah, I'm not sure. Thought. No, I think it's a voluntary 
position. And it's generally the youth teams that then take in turns of being ball boys that weekend, as far yeah. as I, my, my understanding is. So what you do is you, you scrap that, you create an individual ball, ball boy league. Like it. And you get then allocated. And you get, you get bonus points if you do your job well. Neutral, of course. Have to be neutral. Okay, Mark, the final feel-good story that I did want to talk about was the fantastic story of David Martin, 33 years of age, making his debut for West Ham against Chelsea, and he kept a clean sheet away from home. Like, that must be... He could go right here, right now, and go, right, I'm hanging the gloves up, I'm never playing again, and then you can ask, how was your West Ham career? Yeah, it wasn't so bad. I kept a clean sheet at a little place called Stanford Bridge. Yeah, and won the game 1-0. Um, you know what? I think it's uh, it's an amazing story, and it, it shows you that... I, I think if you ask him, he'd probably say to you that he never, ever thought that he'd have that chance. Or he thought that chance was gone. Probably thought, from a ability perspective, yeah, listen, I'm at, I'm at West Ham, but am I ever getting a chance to play in the first team? Probably no, in a, in a competitive match. So the way that circumstances have unfolded, obviously with, with Lucas Fabianski being injured, who's been a huge, huge miss for them. Uh, Roberto taking over, and as we all know, he's been an absolute disaster. Yep. I mean, I don't remember any goalkeeper in the Premier League being, I can't really remember anyone being so poor um, for so many games. And I mean, the, 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 he's, been, he's been compared to, to Taibi when he made his debut at, uh, for Manchester United. I think it's a bit harsh on Taibi. I think Roberto's been even worse because mm. he played a lot more games. Um, so yeah, so I, it's it, listen, a m- remarkable story and a f- fantastic story. He did look a bit nervous. He did look like someone Fair that. Enough. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Let's put this into perspective. So uh, over the course of his career, he started at Wimbledon, then MK Dons. Uh, between two thousand and six and ten, he was at Liverpool but didn't make an appearance. Where he was loaned out to Accrington Stanley, Leicester, Tranmere Rovers. Then he went to Leeds United, Derby County, back to MK Dons, then Wimbledon. And now West Ham United. Yeah, all very, very low-end clubs, aren't they? Let's yeah. be honest. I mean, you know, even Leeds is in there. They're all pretty average clubs. Let's be <laughs> what, honest. Leicester City? <laughs> <laughs> Stitch yourself up there. Oops. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> They're a big slip up there. But you, over the course, so his senior career started at 2003. Now in 2019, you, you're spot on. At some point throughout that journey... You don't you don't expect yourself to, to be you know following after your dad and and, and playing in a game like no, that. No, those people who you know, particularly goalkeepers is also we're, we're we're a different breed. But those who will be realistic, look themselves in the mirror and go, listen, where where do I really belong? Where is my level? Will I ever? Yeah, you hope that this is going to happen. That's going to happen. It's almost like a miracle could happen. And I think for I I think for 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 David Martins, it's like a. You know, it's a, it's a miracle, really. I, I don't think in his wildest dreams he ever thought this scenario would unfold. Mm. And to, particularly if you look at his dad, Alvin Martin, how, what a legend he was at West Ham and, and how he, he played, I think he played an entire career at West Ham. To be able to say that he played for the yeah. same club in the Premier League, the top flight, as his dad. His dad was there to watch it. They were both very, very emotional. It just goes to show, you know, apparently the story's come out. He said he hadn't eaten a couple of days beforehand. Oh he struggled, struggled with all of it. And, you know, to go out there and keep a clean sheet, and it doesn't matter how, how, how he played, really. It's about the, the bottom line is you look back at it and you go, listen, they won 1-0. Mm. They beat Chelsea, a team, Chelsea, who 
I don't even know if they've been. I don't know. Yeah, the opening game of the season lost 4 0 away at Manchester United, but since then, did they actually. Did any team actually prevent them from scoring? I'm not quite sure. And regardless, it won't be many because they, they've been on fire in terms of scoring goals. One thing generally with Chelsea is this season, you, you generally are guaranteed goals from both sides that yep. are playing, you know, both teams that are playing. So phenomenal, phenomenal accomplishment. And the, the reaction afterwards was priceless. Well, that's it. We saw him in the stands crying. Hugging his dad, Alvin, and I suppose, Mark, in particular, your son is a, a budding goalkeeper. Could you imagine the moment it, w- it would be for you to see him, you know, if he played, you know, just one, just one game for any of the teams that you played for? I mean, certainly, to be, to be fair, any team. Well, yeah, yeah, that's an emotional experience, but there is that emotional and romantic connection that uh, that is, would be a, a huge moment. There is a romantic connection. So my, my son is a big Middlesbrough fan for his sins. He was born in Harrogate, and obviously the time when I played a long period of time at uh, at Middlesbrough, first eight years of his life, uh, actually nine years of his life. So um, some would say he was indoctrinated, and rightly yeah. so, and some would say, how dare I? Um, that's just the way it is. <laughs> sure. Uh, but you know he's he's to this day he says Stuart Downing is his the best player ever on the planet. Uh, there's no other player as good as Stuart Downing. He said that if he was manager of Chelsea right now, he would sign Stuart Downing right now. I'm like, mate, he's a little bit old, a little bit past it in that regard. No disrespect to Stuart Downing. I uh, don't think he's really that level because that he'd play right straight away. He'd be my eleven. Anyway, so uh, I don't think he'd be manager for very long. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, but you know what? So so yeah, it would be it would be nice. It'd be a phenomenal experience. Um, so yeah, so to be in that situation to see your son fulfil an ambition he's worked so hard for, yeah, it would be very very special. And do you remember your debut or, or one of your big bigger debuts with um, your you know during that sort of transition period into you know this is where hey I'm, I'm in the big boy league. I, now. I remember. And did you have family there? And I remember um, all my debuts. Um, you know, I remember it for my very first club in Australia, Marconi, to. Dynamo Dresden, Kaiserslautern, Bradford City. Um, Bradford City, I played my first game away at Charlton. We we won 2-0, first time in like 50-odd years wow. that Bradford had actually gone down to, to Charlton and won away from home. Uh, it was a horrendous bus trip down. It took us about eight hours to get down there. We were supposed to train in the afternoon, didn't get there in time. So we end up just going straight to the hotel, play the next game, and won, and won 2-0. Um, for Middlesbrough, my, my debut was away at Sheffield Wednesday in the FA Cup, Stockport County in the League Cup before that. So in terms of my actual first game for Middle, uh, for Middlesbrough was against Stockport County. Uh, if I go back then again and say Bradford City was Charlton, then uh, Kaiserslautern, my first ever game for, for, for Kaiserslautern was away to a team called Bayer Erdingen. Right. And funny enough, the manager who... Managed by Erding at that time is a guy called Friedhelm Funkel, and he's actually still managing right to this day really? in the Bundesliga at uh, Fortuna Düsseldorf. Right. So yeah, um, I I remember all of them. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So yeah, you don't you don't you don't forget those sort of no. things. They're they're very they're very special moments um, to have played and. Uh, some of those things that you just stay with you for the rest of your life. It, it, it must be an amazing feeling, quite genuinely. And this is one thing on a on an emotional level that I'm really grateful that we get to. You know, in a week that's Thanksgiving, uh, it, it, it's probably you know a nice moment to, to to give thanks. What are you giving thanks to? Well, I'm giving thanks to the fact that I remember, so, you know, 
playing in the middle of Hobart, just in my backyard, and I remember so distinctly playing in my Socceroos Guernsey, like literally just in my backyard, kicking a few balls about, and I came in and I just cried, and I reckon I was 13, 14. And it was just this. It's about five years ago. Yeah, <laughs> Mark, I'm trying to give thanks here. A really poignant moment in my childhood. <laughs> and I've gone, I've gone to mum. I'm never going to play for Australia, right? And it was this bizarre moment of, like, that's okay. You know, I'm not trying to be a professional footballer, but you know, when you're that age, you think. I mean, the world is your oyster to a certain degree, but when you start being realistic about certain things, you go, that's never going to happen. Did your mum and dad always tell you you could be whatever you wanted to be? Yeah, absolutely. Do whatever you wanted to do in life. Absolutely. Put your mind to it and you'll do it. Absolutely. What did you say after that moment? Well, at the To your parents. I said, yeah, thanks for lying to me. <laughs> but I remember then I went away. So I went, oh, that's all right. Thank you. Wiped the tears away. And then it was the 2010 World Cup and it was, it was great. And watching yourself and, and so many of these icons... Um, but I was incredibly emotional that I would never experience that moment, and so it's cool to be sitting here with the honestly, a, a, you know, when I was a kid, not so much now, obviously, but a, a legend of yourself, you know. What? Why not? Well, because I've seen you behind closed doors <laughs> drinking a glass of wine in your cellar, you know. <laughs> oh, how the mighty fall! But <laughs> but the point is, is that you know you experience something that that not many people get to. Yes. You know, and it really is. Amazing hearing you say that, and, and I hope that you never forget that because it's something that that a lot of people just would do anything for. Yeah. So more importantly, my debut for the Socceroos was away in 1993 in Canada, playing a World Cup qualifier. I came on after about 16 minutes, I think it was, or 14 minutes after Robert Zabika was sent off. So yeah, there there are there are moments in your career that you just never ever forget. You know, my debut at 40 years old, playing in the Champions League at home yeah. at Chelsea, playing against Stal uh, Bucharest. You know, so so there are pivotal moments um, that you just will never ever, ever forget, um, and they're very very special. And I think as players, often you don't realise how big a deal it is. Mm. You, you, I mean, when I say that, you, you know it's massive, and you're so honoured to play for your country. But you don't understand the magnitude of it. You don't understand that the average individual, how many people would love to be in that position, and you sometimes have to be reminded by it. So, and I hope you, and I hope you did. Because yeah, it, honestly, it is. Of course, it's... and and sometimes it's really tough because you 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 get caught up in the moment. You get caught up in your your position. You're caught up in your stature in the game, and you kind of just think, "Well, it's a norm. Of course, I'm going to play. I've done all that hard work. I've done this. I've done that. I've come through my career. I've played for so many clubs, and uh, and I'm playing at the highest level. Of course, I you know the next the natural progression is to play for your country, but. And I'm not saying that they disrespect that or underestimate it. What I'm saying is that, that people under we underestimate how big a deal it is to the average individual and ourselves. It is an amazing yeah. experience, and I I thank my lucky stars all the time. You know, I and and it's one of those things that you I reckon you I in my case you appreciate it at the time, yep, and you enjoy the moment to an extent, but you don't really 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 enjoy it because let's be honest it's work you, you you're no not even that though. it's not even that it's it's the pressure the scrutiny that you're under to, to perform it's it's a it's a cutthroat industry you don't perform particularly when you get to the national team you don't perform they're like calling for the next person to come in and this person should be playing and taking your position so it's a really cutthroat sort of position or industry 
So you've got to be on edge all the time. You've got to deliver every time the same sort of level of performance at a minimum, if not even better. So you don't really ever get a chance to celebrate things. I mean, we qualified for the World Cup in 2005. We went back to the hotel. The, the media the media's kind of attention was huge. You know, the, the public, the Australian public got behind it. I actually didn't even go out. Really? I didn't, we were staying at Parramatta. I did not go into town. There was a group of players that went into town. I didn't go out. I was with uh, Luke Wilkshire and a couple of mates, and we decided to go to... Um, uh, to, oh, I can't remember the place. It's actually in Paramount. It's open 24 hours. It's a cafe kind of thing. Um, McDonald's? Or no, 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 not a McDonald's. <laughs> it was a cafe. It's open 24 hours a day. Um, the, the name's actually eluded me right now. But, and we spent, literally, we went there, had an, something to eat. Actually, I, was thinking, I think I went there with also the, one of the guys from Head of Media and possibly our cameraman, because uh, I always got on really well with them all. And we went there and had just had a quiet drink, a meal, and just kind of just went, is this even real? This is surreal a moment. And the next day I was on a plane back to, back to the UK. And I, when I arrived back in the UK, and I didn't even realize this, I arrived back in the UK and I went, geez, my shoulders are sore. Oh, really? It took that realize. Long. And then I turned up to train and I go, I'm struggling. And I said, I'm telling you now, I've only just realized it. And they're like, yeah, well, it was a bit of a monumental mm. moment, wasn't it? So the whole adrenaline kicked in. And I actually didn't. I couldn't play that weekend. My, my my shoulder. I hurt my shoulder. Was it because I don't, when you were flinging your shirt no around? No clue. The end? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still look back at that moment actually and go, yeah. Look, look at me wearing that singlet. Yeah, the singlet was an odd choice. Yeah, <laughs> not fitting very well. Yeah, it was one of my. It wasn't one of my most flattering moments. Mate, if you didn't wear the singlet, hello GQ. You know, oh, you never know. Absolutely. No, there's no doubt about. It. I would put Johnny Bellowisi to shame. Because yeah. we, <laughs> the we Austin actually, Powers. The good thing about it was it was brilliant because he actually gave him so much stick about his body. He was like, come on, Johnny, if you're going to take your shirt off, run down the pitch like that, you've got to have a body. You've got to have toned abs. He didn't have any toned abs. And from that moment, he was like, oh, shit, yeah, geez, I need to sort that out. Don't I? <laughs> it was hilarious, mate. We gave him so much stick about it. It's just like, obviously, in jest, but it was well-received and he did work on his physique afterwards. <laughs> yeah, as myself, I did as well. Sure. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was funny. It was a funny moment. Okay, so it's time for the most stressful part of the episode. Honestly, it, you know, it absolutely flies past. And I remember, oh, geez, we have to compare this wine to a player. So once again, this is a wine you picked up in the south of Spain yep. when you were on holiday. It is the Barbazul. It is a Merlot. And it's it's probably the worst one. I mean, oh, worst isn't the right word, but it's my no, least no, no, favourite. Say what you think. Okay, it's, my, it's definitely the least favourite. Yeah, it's uh, a 2017. But explain vintage. yourself as well, because it's, it's the worst one for you because you're a, you're a Shiraz man. Yep. Through yep. and through. So I, I'm, I've got more of an expanded palate. Sure. And I think that's more to do with, with age. Yeah. Let's be honest. That's fine. I'm a little bit older than you, just a little bit, not much. It doesn't look it, but I am. No, no, I no. Know. You wouldn't I know. know. Everyone it. says it. Yeah, you, yeah. you look a hell of a lot older than you I know. do. It's, Jeez, uh, it's your brother's a bit taller than you, but that's... Yeah. It's <laughs> obvious. And, um, and, and, I, and I, I, I kind of like a variety of things. And yeah. Merlot, I have to say, Merlot and Pinot Noir are my favorite. Definitely. Definitely my favorite. I like an uncomplicated wine. Because off, more often than not, it's more about the social experience of just drinking, sure. socializing, and enjoying the moment. And this, I can actually really enjoy the moment. Perfect. Well, take it away. I'll leave the ball in your court. What player, past or present, does this bottle of wine remind you of? Yeah, so I think, like I said there, that it, it, I, I'm enjoying the moment. 
It's a very relaxed, very easy wine. It's warm. It gives me a warm feeling. It's uncomplicated. You know what you're going to get from it. It's pretty constant all the way through. And for, for me, over my career, the one of – there's a few players I could have picked really – but the one player that really comes to mind when I say that, when I just when I've said that in my head right now, it's popped in, and it's it's someone who again I think was also very much underrated um, at his his time at Fulham. I think probably towards the end, the Fulham faithful realised how good a player he was. Um, I don't think a lot of the managers realised it. Um, obviously, Roy Hodgson definitely did, but then after that, not as many. Uh, Mark Hughes and and definitely Martin Yold didn't. Uh, this player is centre half Aaron Hughes. I like him. You know, very, yeah. very, very um, solid, uncomplicated. You knew what you were going to yep. get. Really liked him as a person, as a player, and would always have your back. And this is this is a lot of wine like that. It kind yeah. of it flows. Now you've said it, tasting it, and looking at it. It's that's a that's an Aaron wine. Like if you looked yeah. at it, you went, "Yep." This is welcome. This is Aaron. Yeah, this yeah. is Aaron. Okay, so for mine, I've gone. I mean, I, we honestly, it's very plausible that we're literally tasting two different wines. Um, for mine, this isn't a pretty wine. This isn't flashy, or uh, it's not you know good looking in the sense of not not looks wise, but it's not. It's not a sparkling Hollywood wine. This is uh, a. Well, I never said it was. No, no, no. I'm just saying that this is what I'm getting. You know, just kind of, I just don't think it's. It's. It doesn't. Uh, yeah. It's. It's not an A-lister or it's not a red carpet wine. Uh, but what I will say is that when I do see it, I go Ooh, a bit gritty. But then towards the end, I go. That's when I'm. I'm experiencing genuine flavors, genuine bursts of talent. Uh, and for that, I'm going to have to go with a man who's who's on fire at the moment, and it's Jamie Vardy. I think he doesn't go about his game in any flashy way whatsoever. No tricks, no bells and whistles. Uh, took a long time to get to where he is now. Um, but when he's on and when those flavours burst, elite. Because there's no... I'm not denying the flavours in this wine. Because when I do taste it and I enjoy it, I go, yeah, that, that's that's sensational. It's just this isn't a, a pretty and a you know glamorous, I think is probably the word I'm looking for. And there's one word that Jamie Vardy is not. He's not glamorous, I suppose you'd say. Glamorous and Jamie Vardy definitely don't go in the same s- sentence together anyway. Yep. Not when you're talking about that one individual. But yeah, okay, I can, I can see... I kind of see where you're going with it. Right. Yeah, just a reminder out there for everyone. This this podcast is in uh, dedication to Pim Verbeek, who unfortunately lost his battle against cancer during the week. And a uh, tremendous guy and a wonderful individual and f- phenomenal family. And such a sad week. But this is cheers to you, mate, and you'll never be forgotten. 
quince.com slash style. 